Welcome to the Champions League Betting Blueprint and our first live stream for this series on the Pinnacle Podcast. You might think the Champions League action is over for a while, but there's there's still plenty to look over from the, the group stage and, of course, an opportunity to, to get in early with some best bets for the, the knockout stage and the outrights. Um, joining me today is a familiar voice for, for Pinnacle Podcast listeners, um, Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal, and, and alongside him or or just below him on the stream is is another esteemed soccer expert. It's Andrew Beasley. Um, Jake, I'll start with you. How things how's how are things going? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad. Enjoyed the uh, you know, there's quite a few crucial games, weren't there? Some big head to heads this week in the Champions League. So it's really good to sort of watch those unfold. Um, I think we we did a, a pre Champions League preview, uh, didn't we? Podcast and there's quite a few tips that that I pulled up in, in that podcast actually did turn out to be decent group stage winners. So, um, yeah, from a betting standpoint, it's not been a, a bad group stage. And, and obviously the entertainment value has been there, as, as it always is with the Champions League. Well, no pressure. We'll be we'll be expecting more of the same for the knockout <laughs> stages as well. Um, and, and Andrew, yourself, Liverpool, joint top of the Premier League. They won their group in the Champions League. You must be loving life. Yeah, it's all good, especially considering all the injuries they're uh, having to contend with at the moment. Um, sort of used to them uh, sort of squeaking through in the last group game um, in recent years. So it was, it was quite nice for them to actually have a dead rubber. Um, and But even though it was, you end up taking it far too seriously anyway, sort of, you know, shouting at the VAR, you know, pretty standard. But um, yeah, no, they're, they're doing incredibly well, all things considered at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Well, um, so our plan is to, what we'll do is the three of us, we'll, we'll be taking sort of a look at the, the Champions League odds in, in more detail. I think the draws on Monday, isn't it? And we'll, we'll get closer to the knockout stages and really sort of dive into the ties then. However, this is, I feel like it's a good time to sort of react to the group stage. Obviously, it's very just, just closely finished. Um, we can analyse sort of how some of the teams have performed look at the outrights and and compare that maybe to before the competition began. We've, we've obviously seen a, a few surprises and we'll, we'll get on to some of the big teams that have missed out. But I think it's best just to kick off group by group. How does that sound to you guys? Is that all good? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, all good. Good stuff. So we've got Group A um, and I mean, it looks pretty straightforward according to the group. And I think, Jake, we one of the ones we spoke about was Bayern Munich's over under points total and, and the fact that they were likely to dominate um it's it seems very much sort of plain sailing atletico maybe a little bit more of a struggle than than people would have thought how did how did you think this went this group went down pretty much as expected to be honest i think we you know we, we, like you said in the podcast we we did think the points total for bayern munich was high in the group if i remember it was about 14 and a half or maybe 15 uh, but we did say that it's highly likely that Bayern Munich would probably win all five of the matches apart from the game at the Wanda um, against Atletico. And that's exactly how it turned out. And, you know, they, they've, they have every, every team at this, this current stage has, has had a really tough schedule in terms of fixture congestion. Um, but Bayern Munich, they were qualified with two games to spare. So they had the, um, you know, the beneficiary of being able to rest players and rotate and, you know, that they basically highlighted why they are favorites in those two games in which they did rotate because the players that they brought in were, were of such a high standard and, um, yeah, comfortably winning this group. Based on expected goals, you rightly were the, the best team in the group. They racked up the most expected points. But it was interesting looking at uh, second and third place in the group with obviously Atletico did come through that um, with, I think Salzburg were really, really close to, to actually getting through. They, they needed to beat Atletico in that final day. But um, ultimately, Atletico, they've, they've got that stubborn um, stubbornness about them with Diego Simeone. They're really tough to break down and tough to beat. But I was actually disappointed with them in the, in the way they performed in the Champions League in particular, because what we've seen from them in the Liga so far, 
you know, the top of the table. They've played 10, they've won eight matches, they've conceded just two goals. Um, they didn't look as dominant in this competition as they have done domestically. And based on expected points, Salzburg were actually unfortunate not to progress uh, behind Bayern Munich. Uh, they racked up 9.5 expected points, getting the better of Atletico Madrid on uh, expected goals in that game on on uh, getting match, match day six. But ultimately... They've got a way of doing it, Atletico Madrid, and they're a team that no, well, they are they are a team that no one will want to face in this next round. And Andrew, I mean, it's it's not nice to maybe start with a group with with so little talking points <laughs> or sort of controversy around it. But was there was there any sort of key takeaways from this group for you apart from the fact of how good Bayern Munich are? Yeah, well, I think um, sort of uh, Jake sort of mentioned it there, but I think Salzburg were certainly better than their um, than their results suggested. Uh, I know on the um, 538s expected goals, when they lost 3-1 at Bayern, the actual um, XG score was 3.1 to 1.6 in their favour. So, I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. There won't be many teams do that um, to Bayern on their own patch. So I think, uh, yeah, Salzburg are one of those teams. I think they could be worth a look um, in the Europa League, possibly, whether we'll get on that later. But um, I think they're one of the better third-placed uh, teams and as, as Jake said perhaps a little unfortunate not to go through yeah I think there's certainly a few teams down in that third spot that we can we can look ahead to sort of Europa League wise towards the the end of the show but Group B perhaps a little bit more interesting <laughs> to, to talk about and another one Jake we sort of spoke about Real Madrid but before the group stage the fact that they are very much a different squad uh, for this year's competition they always seem to to find a way to do it in the Champions League they I think this group on the last, was it the last sort of round of fixtures? Anyone could have finished bottom and anyone could have finished top going into it. Um, Andrew, what did you make of, of Real Madrid and, and looking at Inter Milan as well? Were they, were they a disappointment for you? Yeah, I mean, Inter Milan were um, probably predicted to qualify and ended up finishing, uh, obviously, bottom of the group. Um, they had issues at both ends of the pitch. Um, you know, they uh, expected goal difference of plus 3.1, but they actually ended up with minus 2. Um, so they they should have done um, a lot better than they did. I mean, the uh, their game in Shakhtar, the XG was 2.0 for them, 0.1 for Shakhtar, um, and then it was 1.7 versus 0.4 at home um, the other night, and both ended in nil-nil draws. So against Shakhtar, they had 3.7 XG, only conceded 0.5, but ended up with a pair of, of nil-nil draws, and, and that's basically what cost them. Um Shakhtar did massively sort of overachieve. I wouldn't be picking them out um, for the for the Europa League. Um, and yeah, as for, for Real Madrid, I mean, it's sort of um, almost similar, although not, not they play the same, but similar to Atletico in that they just sort of seem to get through. It doesn't matter how sort of badly they start or whatever, you know, that, that they've got through the group stage every single time and um, they'll probably, uh, you know, get through the next round as well, I would have thought. Yeah, Jake, I mean, it looks like, certainly according to, to what we can see on InfoGoal, that Inter Milan deserve to go through on the the figures over, over the group of the whole. Is it is that the case when you look at individual matches and they were just really unlucky? Yeah, exactly that. The um, you know, Andrew said there, the, the games against Shakhtar were the ones that cost them. Two nil-nil draws in games in which they created bundles of chances and just failed to take them, um, ultimately led to the downfall. And um, yeah, they, they'll be disappointed, but I think that Conte will be quietly pleased that he didn't finish third in this group and drop into Europa League because that means that they've got a real um, you know they put a real challenge together for the Serie A title that looks wide open this season so um, although they did get to the final of the competition last season I think that 
I think they'll be he'll, they'll be happy that they didn't drop into the Europa League. And um, you know, like like Andrew was saying about Real Madrid, very functional at the moment as opposed to being breathtaking. Um, it's not the same team that we saw win a hat trick of titles back to back in the Champions League. They're very much in that Atletico Madrid mould of uh, of looking to be solid defensively first, as opposed to being a really strong creative force. And and we saw that um, especially. Um, in the games against Shakhtar, where, um, funnily enough, they they lost both of those games against Shakhtar, but yet the team that finished second, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I think they beat them 11-0 on aggregate over two matches. Um, just shows you how how random this group was. Um, so, yeah, I think Real Madrid would have been much more comfortable had they potentially not taken that first Shakhtar game a little bit... Um, well, Shakhtar obviously had quite a few cases of coronavirus in the squad that meant they played a second string. And I think that led to Zidane resting a few of his players um, I think they might have played El Clasico the week after, weekend after, or something along those lines, and they got rested for for the Liga, and that obviously cost them a three-two um, defeat at home. But yeah, I, to me, none of the teams that are coming out of this group are going to really threaten winning the competition. I don't think they're at that standard. Borussia Mönchengladbach, they looked good on the counter-attacking in matches against um, Inter and Real Madrid, but that last game against Real Madrid, they were so poor. Like all they had to do was go there and get a point, and uh, uh, and they'd be sure of qualifying, but they really did struggle to create any good chances and, and look very vulnerable. So I don't think that they'll scare anybody. The same with this Real Madrid team. I know they've got the history; they're the record winners of the Champions League. But this current team aren't scaring anyone. And you just look at the position in the Liga, the way they've been playing in the Liga, um, and I think that whoever draws them will fancy the chances of, of potentially taking a scalp. Yeah, just a, a quick word on mentioned Gladbach. They did scrape it by the skin of their teeth. Is that a team, Andrew, like a team like Liverpool? Are you looking at them and thinking that that would be a nice tie for you, do you think? Yeah, quite possibly. I think um, if you look at the sort of probabilities for the, the draw, they are the team that Liverpool are most likely to uh, get. But then they're also the team that quite a few other teams are most likely to get. So, you know, obviously uh, they, they may or may not um, play Liverpool. But... Um, yeah, I think um, yeah they they definitely sort of overachieved um, based on their their stats in the group stage. So you would um, probably sort of prefer them um, to you know Atletico or Barcelona or whatever. Um, and obviously they're quite inexperienced at this level as well, which uh, would probably you know go in the favour of whoever draws them, the sort of more established teams who won their groups. All right, then we'll, we'll move ourselves on to, to Group C. And, and this one, I think, was very much geared towards Manchester City qualifying. And it's, it's pretty much the, the best of the rest. And that is exactly what happened. I think maybe a bit of credit to Porto. They were a lot better than the best of the rest in this one. Um, City and, and, I mean, non it's a regular thing now on Premier League Insights, Jake, when we have our weekly chats. The defensive process has very much improved. I don't know if this is a typo on the InfoGoal website, but 1.7 <laughs> expected goals against over six games. It's, it's 0.28 XG against per game. Uh, I think the next best in the competition is Chelsea, which is kind of around five expected goals in the group game. How impressed have you been with them, Jake? And is this finally the season that they, they kind of go further in the competition and maybe win the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, you'd look at those stats and suggest probably yes, but then you look at the group in which they've come out of um, and they obviously yet to be tested. It's, it seems to be a regular theme with Manchester City that they get really kind draws in these Champions League group stages. Uh, I think for the last three or four years before this, they, they ended up with Shakhtar Donetsk in their group and they hammered them pretty much every time they played them. Um, and yeah, basically just this time around, it's exactly the same. No one could lay a glove on them. 
as you said there, no one created a single or a decent chance against them, averaging 0.28 expected goals against per game. Um, we, at InfoGoal, um, categorise a big chance as having a 35% chance of being scored or or greater. And that basically tells you that no one really created a big chance against Manchester City, which is um, definitely impressive. Um, and on the other on the other end, I know we've spoken on the Premier League pod about the, uh, the attacking struggles of City, but no such problems in this competition, averaging well over two expected goals per game. And um, yeah, all of a sudden they, they look a threat. And I think that they're starting to find a little bit of balance. We've seen that in, in the Premier League as well over, uh, well, since the, the, the game against Leeds at Ellen Road, they've sort of struck a little bit more balance in terms of defensive solidity and um, obviously trying to find a bit more attacking flair. But um, yeah, they're a, team to, they're a team to keep on side at this moment in time. I don't think any team in Europe wants to play them. Um, and we had them racking up 15.4 expected points, which is... Um, just highlights the dominance because the way we work out the expected points, we take the post-match expected goals, we simulate the percentage chance of a home draw away result, um, and then you can calculate the expected points through that. And it's very, very rare that you get a uh, an, an expected points for a single match of anywhere near three. But Manchester City did that on pretty much six occasions. Yeah, Andrew. I mean, we're we're well versed in in sort of seeing City and and their attacking uh, threat going forward in the Premier League. Kind of dropped off a little bit, as Jake said at the start of the season. Much improved defensively. What what do you make of them this season and and kind of their chances moving forward? Yeah, I sort of agree with what um, Jake said. Really, I mean, yes, they they were very impressive, but they were in a in a weak group. Um, you know, in the, in the Premier League, they've not looked quite um, obviously quite as good. They haven't had a good record in the big games in the Premier League so far this season. Um, obviously, they might beat United this weekend and uh, that could turn that around a little bit. But um, it's hard to know if it's sort of their year or not. I think people think it could be every year and it hasn't been. So maybe now that they're looking a bit less good, perhaps uh, it will be their year. Um, but uh, I think as well, you know, it's a, it's a long time till the... Um, the last 16 round, isn't it? So a lot, lot can change between now and then. Um, they deserve credit. They're probably the best team across the whole of the group stage um, based on the underlying stats and stuff like that. But um, obviously much much stiffer tests will lie in wait uh, in sort of February and March when it all kicks off again. Right, so we've got Group D next. Um, I wonder who I'm going to ask about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, unbiased opinion here, Andrew, I'm sure. But what do you make of Liverpool's Champions League performances? I mean from my position not quite as impressive as as the league and I think you alluded to it earlier at the top of the show it's it's really kind of a case of maybe just getting the job done working with the squad that you've got at the moment how are you feeling about your chances in this year's competition based on on sort of what you've seen so far um yeah they had they weren't sort of great um in the group stage but as you say they got the job done I think they you know probably should have drawn in a drawn at Ajax and um one thanks to an own goal um and probably should have lost uh, in Denmark the other night, uh, based on the balance of the of the chances, um, they sort of massively overachieved in defence. They uh, their xG was uh, around about nine for uh, goals against, but they only conceded three. Um, so they they sort of did well there, or were they lucky? I guess it's uh, to be decided. But uh, Kelleher um, certainly did all right. You know, young lad come in um, in goal, he did all right. So, um, yeah, it's hard to know. Obviously the, the injury situation is, is bad at the moment. Um, obviously a lot of the players will hopefully have come back by the time it, it kicks off again, but you know, Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez may not have done, and I'm not sure how far Liverpool can go, uh, with their sort of less, their sort of, you know, John Matip and, and standing centre-back Fabinho and stuff like that. They are doing very well, 
or whether they can go all the way in, in the Champions League with uh, with guys like that, I'm not sure. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I, I think they did what they had to do, but nothing more aside from the 5-0 the win in um, Atlanta. That aside, they just sort of um, trudged through a little bit, but that's all right. You know, get, getting through is the main thing. So, Yeah, Jake, I mean, the last couple of seasons now across all sort of competitions, Champions League and Premier League, certainly it's it's not just the performances, it's the process as well. It has been very, very impressive from Liverpool. What did what did you make of, of Group D and your boys in there as well? Atalanta, I know you've mm-hmm. talked them up a few times. Was there was there much there for you to get excited about from them? Um, yeah, I, I've been really impressed actually because they were under pressure um, going into that last game in Amsterdam and um, you know, everyone, quite a few people were, were touting Ajax to get the victory there to qualify. I think they went off around even money favourites, starting off around 2.3, 2.4. So there was money that came in for, for Ajax in, in that game. But Atalanta, what I've seen from them uh, recent weeks in Serie A is actually they've, they've stopped being involved in these high-scoring games that's made them so lovable. Uh, they've turned into a bit of a, a Mourinho kind of team. They've, they've tightened up a little bit at the back. They're not conceding as many ch- chances per game. Um, their expected goals against per game is, is decreasing as well. And I think we saw that to full effect against Ajax in that game, in which they, they you know limited Ajax to very little in, in the way of scoring chances. And uh, that gives me a bit more confidence about them actually going forward in, into this the later rounds of the Champions League. Last season, obviously, the, the majority of the hype around them was just how attack-minded they were, how free-flowing they were in attack and, and how many good chances they created per game. Whereas, um, you know, a lot... Very few people were actually talking about the fact that defensively they were very, very poor um, for the most part. And that obviously ultimately got exposed in, uh, by PSG, who I think created around two and a half expected goals in that game in, in uh, the quarterfinal stage. So, yeah, I think that they, they're a dangerous team. They're a team that probably, uh, again, quite a few people will want to avoid in the next round. Um, obviously gave Liverpool a, a decent um, a decent thumping at Anfield, really. There's very, very few teams that go to Anfield actually get a win. There are very few teams that go to Anfield and, uh, and limit Liverpool to around 0.3 expected goals. So I know it was a much-changed Liverpool team, so you can't read as much into it as if it was a full strength, but um, still decent performances. Um, yeah, just a bit on Liverpool. I'm actually a little bit more optimistic about Liverpool's chances than, than Andrew, I think. <laughs> Maybe that's the fan in him. But um, yeah, I, I, just, I, I think the... I think Joel Matip's been slightly underrated so far this season in, in the job that he has actually done. Um, I think he's playing at a level that would potentially rival Joe Gomez as being a, a, a regular starter alongside Van Dijk. And Fabinho, I think he's just, he's awesome. Like the, the way that he's just slotted into that centre-half role and, um, you know, I think that the tough opponents he's played against as well. I think his first game in there was Timo Werner um, when they played at Chelsea and I thought he was excellent on that occasion. Um, obviously, Thiago comes back in as well and potentially plays that Fabinho role, that holding role, just gets things ticking. And that front three, you could call it a front four now with Diogo Jota, um, I think is enough to scare anyone, even the likes of Bayern Munich, who potentially have shown defensive weaknesses. So, um, yeah, while, while they haven't been firing um, in the Champions League group stage, Liverpool, I think it's probably, Andrew will agree, it's probably nice to just see them sort of coast through a canter as opposed to needing a result on the final day, usually against Napoli. <laughs> Right, well, let's uh, let's get on to Group E. We've got, I think this is the, the third group in a row. We've got a team from the Premier League that, that actually won the group. Um, one of those, you're going to struggle to find a more wide split in terms of a Champions League group. Chelsea and Sevilla, obviously battling out for the, the top spot. And then the, the two down the bottom are, are kind of in their own little scrap for third. Chelsea finished first in the end. They've been doing well in the league as well. We've talked about it quite extensively on our, our Premier League podcast, Jake. So, Andrew, I'd, I'd be interested to get your opinion or, or insights in terms of 
how Chelsea have performed this season. Are they are they the real deal? Are they are they capable? I guess in the Premier League, breaching that bracket to Liverpool and Manchester City, and in the Champions League, kind of continuing the journey as well. Yeah, I think they uh, they possibly could do that. Yeah, they've um, obviously tightened up the the defence very well, and uh, generally, you know, still scoring goals and things like that. I think their their nil nil draw with uh, with um, Seville in the home game was was sort of deserved. I think they probably uh, sh- you know deserve to win the other games in the group. Um, sort of worthy winners, uh, and yeah, in the Premier League, I mean, uh, yeah, it looks like they could definitely. Um, go a long way. I think they've had a relatively kind fixture list so far is perhaps the only thing. Um, probably need to pick up some big wins. They drew with United, they drew with Tottenham um, recently. So, and lost to Liverpool, I have to get that in there. Um, but, uh, you know, so they, they perhaps need to improve their record in the big games, um, but they should win the majority of their games against uh, some of the smaller sides in the in the division. So, um, yeah, I think they're definitely uh, capable of having a good run in both competitions. Well, it's an interesting point there. I think you br- you bring up about the when they played the elite in the Premier League, they've actually drawn a couple, lost to Liverpool, as you said, and they're the kind of games that they're going to be playing later on in the competition. So, Jake, I mean, a good group stage, but but where do you think they're going to be moving forward? Um, I think I'd be surprised if they got past the quarterfinal stage, this Chelsea team. Um, I think they've, they've got the squad. Um, I think they've probably got one of the better squads in the entire Champions League, to be honest. I think they've got um, depth in every single position. But um, I'm not too sure on Frank Lampard and whether he's tactically capable of, of outcoaching some of these really, really top managers. I think, um, you know, just looking at those matches that you've, you've highlighted there, the thing that springs to my mind is that Chelsea are yet to score against big teams this season. Um, drew a blank against Liverpool. Obviously, they missed a penalty in that game, which could have seen that that little stat <laughs> null and void. But um, you know, goalless draw against Man United. I think they racked up 0.2 expected goals in that game, and, and against Spurs, I think it was about 0.8. So they're not creating big chances in in those matches. Not creating enough. They're not playing on the front foot as as much as I would like to see them against big, bigger and better teams. Um, but yeah, they, they've got the players there to to have a decent run. It's just whether. Uh, they can be coached and set up tactically well enough to actually cause a bit of an upset because what happened last season against Bayern Munich, they just got absolutely thumped from minute one at Stamford Bridge and I think it ended up being, was it 7-1 on aggregate, something like that? Could have probably been 10. Um, but yeah, they're, they're making good imp- uh, good strides and, and they're improving the right direction defensively. Um, but as we've spoke about again on the, Pinnacle, on the, uh, the Premier League podcast, in, in attack, while they are scoring at a, a really decent rate, their actual underlying process in attack isn't quite at the standard of last year, which is a little bit surprising, but um, the more clinical finishes they have brought in seem to be bridging that gap and whether that is sustainable over a long period um, remains to be seen. But positives for Chelsea, absolutely. Topping this group was a massive bonus. Um, It means that they get a a much kinder draw potentially in the next round. But um, yeah, again, same as Manchester City. It was a pretty straightforward group on paper. Uh, We expect them to qualify and it was just between Chelsea and Sevilla as to who came out top. Right, well, Group F is, uh, I mean, this one was pretty comfortable for Dortmund in the end, I think. Lazio, I think they had a, a, a decent group stage campaign as well. They're actually unbeaten. Four draws for them, two wins. Um, looking at overall process, both of them really deserved to qualify. It was it was obviously between Lazio and Bruges in the end. And I think the last game was a draw, but but Lazio really sort of deserved to win that. So I don't think Bruges can, can have any complaints anyway. Um Dortmund are one of those teams, Jake. They're they're young, they're exciting, they they look decent. They're certainly doing well in the Bundesliga as well. Um, what do you make of their performances here, and and how far can they go? Do you think? 
Yeah, I'm going to sort of use the copy and paste button from what I said about Frank Lampard. I'm not convinced about Lucien Favre as their coach. Um, he's he's a perennial overperformer. Um, even when he was at Nice, the underlying numbers were shocking compared to the actual results. That was the same again against uh, uh, for Dortmund last season, especially in the Bundesliga. They pushed Bayern Munich really, really close in terms of the, the title race, but the underlying numbers were around fourth best in the Bundesliga. And that's um, sort of the same this time around. I've not really been that impressed. They're dropping points against lesser opposition um, in in the league. And, you know, again, it's a pretty... If Bayern Munich were in that group uh, that Dortmund found themselves in, they would have probably picked up 18 points or 16 points and, and really made uh, light work. But there was a couple of games in there that could have gone either way for Dortmund, where uh, the, the final game in particular, they were I think they were losing to Zenit. And um, as it, as the results were going at that moment in time, they would have actually finished second in the group. And scored a couple of late goals to turn that around and top it. But yeah, undoubtedly the talent's there. You know, you can re- ring it off. You've got Haaland, who's phenomenal. I think he's joint top scorer in the competition at this stage. Um, Jaden Sancho as well, who's in there. You've got Marco Royce playing on the fringes at the moment. Um, but yeah, they've got a, a lot of talent there to make them a, a potentially a serious contender. But again, massive question marks about whether Lucian Farber is the right man to, to actually bring silverware to Dortmund. Yeah, I mean... Not the greatest of groups. There's some, not the, some of the groups have got really two elite teams in them. This one was was one that should have been comfortable for Dortmund. Andrew, what did what did you make of them? And do you see Lazio as potentially a little bit of a threat, or is that a team that you think one of those group winners would be glad to draw in the the next group, the next stage? Yeah, I mean on Dortmund, um, I think that that probably the 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 group winner that the runners up would would most like to draw of uh, of who's available when the, when the draws made on monday um in terms of lazio i mean they were one of only five teams who scored um in every game and they kept three clean sheets as well so that you know i'm, I'm not sure they'd hold too many fears for for any of the group winners but i mean they, they sort of earned their place on merit um in the last 16 but um, I wouldn't expect them to to go any further necessarily. All right, then we'll we'll move ourselves on to to Group G, and I think I said it as you I said for Group E, you struggled to find a group as as split as it was, and and this is pretty much what we see here, even more so with Juventus and, and Barcelona, and um, both of them got fifteen points. Then got Kiev and Frank Vossi. I think Kiev their only win came against them, but. Um, Interesting one here. Barcelona have got more points in six Champions League games than they have in 12 La Liga fixtures this season. Um, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. Um, Andrew, what do you think of them and, and maybe the sort of decline we've seen from them, certainly this season and sort of towards the tail end of last season as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I suppose the, you know, Juventus aside, the, the group is probably easier than your average um, La Liga team with uh, with Kiev and the uh, other side who I can't pronounce. So uh, I'll <laughs> I leave tried, them. I tried. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, they, they, they are in um, decline, aren't they? I mean, I, I was um, looking on fbref.com earlier and uh, Messi was the um, biggest underachiever in terms of XG versus goals scored, at least on their model um, of all the players in the group stage. Um, so, you know, they, they possibly, uh, he could have done better than, than, it, than he did. Um, I think they're probably a bit unlucky to finish second. I think they were the better team than Juventus um, in the, uh, in their group. But obviously that could, could cost them now with a with a with a tough matchup. Their most likely opponent is apparently Bayern Munich. So um, if that were to Great come out, to see it. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that'd be a great tie, but um, I don't think it does their, their chances any favours of, of sort of going any further. Um, obviously, they, that's just who they might get, you know. They, they um, But as I think we were saying earlier, you know, all their games are potential opponents are, are tricky. Um, I mean, maybe Dortmund, I'm sure they'd, they'd probably prefer out of who's available. But um, yeah, they, they don't look um, that well equipped to go... Uh, too far in the tournament this season, but I guess if you've got Messi, you've always got half a chance, haven't you? He mentioned there about his, his underperforming, Jake. I think if you take a hundred thousand shots or whatever it was against Juventus that he had, you're, you're bound to underperform your XG. Um, what do you make yeah. of their, their process then, and maybe the crossover between La Liga and Champions League? Do you read much into that? What what is going on? Do you think? I just think they're a bad team. Um, to put it simply, I, I don't think they're you know they're. they're they get the respect to the market gives them respect based on name uh, and the fact that they've got Messi. You know, if, if it was if they were called French Rossi, then you know, no one would be giving them a hope in hell of, of winning this Champions League, especially on what we saw last season and at the start of this season, both domestically and um, you know, in the Champions League. The way in which they capitulated against Juventus in that final game, you know, as we've just discussed, the potential opponents for Barcelona now is extremely difficult compared to what it could have been had they not lost 3 0 at the new camp um, against Juventus. and uh, based on our expected points, we we had Barcelona collecting the most, but that's because that they beat Kiev and French Rossi so much more comfortable than Juventus did. Um, whereas when it came to those two head-to-head matches, Barcelona were by far and away the best team in Turin, uh, and then Juventus racked up over three expected goals at, at the camp now, and um, ultimately that's what settled this group in terms of group winners. So, yeah, they're, they're, you know you've got the old lady and the old man pretty much. Um, the, the living off past glories. I don't give either of these two teams much of a chance. Juventus are another team, new manager in there with Andrea Pirlo. They've got the talented squad. I just don't know if um, if they're, they're clicking just yet. I don't know if there's a system in place. Whether um, you know whether they, they can actually take out one of these big big hitters. Um, they're likely to get to the, the next round, obviously, because of the fact that they've won the group. They're more likely to get a um, a second a team that finished second, but. Even so, like if you if Juventus draw, for example, a Sevilla, I won't find, you know Sevilla, I think would probably be massively underestimated in the market, and they would potentially be a team that could cause an upset. Um, the same as potentially Borussia Mönchengladbach, who would offer a bit of a counter-attacking threat to Juventus's slow back line, and and you know the last thing that Juventus want to do is draw Atletico Madrid. I think that would be the um, you know the nail in their coffin for the competition because they've not got a very good record against them recently. Um, although Cristiano Ronaldo does enjoy a game against Atletico. I think you uh, you just dropped Ferenc Varossi in there to show me and Andrew up and, and show <laughs> you twice. <laughs> right, last one we've got then is is Group H and, and probably the one with the the most talking points coming out of it. And and some Manchester United fans might say they were unlucky. Ultimately, it was probably a game and a half that really cost them the the one against Istanbul Basakashir. Um, that that terrible performance and that comedic opening goal that felt like it was scored in kind of the ninetieth minute. Um, and then obviously the first half against Leipzig as well. Um, I don't know if either of you two follow Nick Goff on Twitter, but I think he he summed it up quite nicely when he said all the, the attention and analysis has gone into it, but it was simply the third best team in the group finished third in the group. Um, Andrew, do you think it's as simple as that? Yes and no. I mean, I think they were predicted to finish third before it all started. But of course, once they then won in Paris and hammered Leipzig in the home game, I mean, suddenly they sort of over 90% chance of, of qualifying. And even after they lost in Istanbul, they were still kind of 80% chance of qualifying. So, I mean, they, they really just sort of blew it in the last in the last two games. I think they were the, 
um, figures I was looking at, they were the best of the third place teams in terms of uh, expected goals, but they were in a tough group. Um, and they were the only team who scored in every game um, who didn't get through. So, you know, there's, there's lots of things they can point to. But, I mean, as you say, the, um, the loss in Istanbul was the horrendously bad goal. And then the first half in Germany uh, the other night is basically is, is what's cost them. Um, but it, it it's sort of similar to what we've seen in the Premier League. You know, they've, they've, uh, they might have won every away game, but I think they've gone behind in every away game in the league. Um, and so it was just sort of more, it was the sort of same sort of thing against Leipzig. But obviously, instead of going, you know, a goal down, they were three down and, and even then they nearly got it back. But, you know, they, they just like gave themselves too much too much to do, really. Um, and they, they just have a problem of creating good chances aside from um, the penalties. You know, and, and I don't know about the Champions League. I know in the Premier League, they, they've got like the third worst chance quality if you ignore penalties. They just don't create many good chances unless um, the referee gives them a helping hand, uh, you know. Which they usually do. <laughs> well, they seem, they seem to. I, to be fair, I don't think they get too many penalties necessarily. I think most teams don't get enough. I think a lot of their penalties are, you know, correct or whatever. But um, yeah, they just so they're sort of struggling um, with their attacking process, and uh, I guess it's cost them. Yeah, Jake, it's another one of those teams where we have this this Premier League crossover. We've we've talked about them quite a bit. I know you're you're kind of big on their defensive process. They've been unfortunate to to concede some of the goals that they have in the Premier League. Is it is it same old same old in the Champions League? Is it more to it than that? Were they unlucky? What do you think? Um, no, nah, they weren't. They weren't unlucky. Uh, based on the expected goals and the expected points, they were unlucky. But overall, I mean, if you said to Manchester United fans after two matches you'd have beaten Paris Saint Germain in Paris, beaten Leipzig, like Andrew said, like the the ball is in your court there. Just get it over the line. Do your job against Basak Shahir, and um, you know, and then you don't have to worry about the final two matches if you win those because. Ultimately, what ended up happening is that everyone or the top three teams in that group took points off each other. Um, and Basic Shahir's win over Manchester United was the difference between them go, uh, going through and going home. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's a disappointing one for them to take United, obviously, given the position that we're in. But, you know, I think, Nick, like you said, Nick Goff, nail on the head. Uh, they, In my opinion, they were the third best team in that group. You've got the Champions League finalists of last year, the Champions League semi-finalists of last year. Um, you know, the, uh, in my book, anyway, the second best team in Germany. Um, and the best team in France, and probably the fourth best team in England. If you've been look, if you you know, if you if you want to go that far, maybe the fifth best at the moment. But yeah, um, I think that they'll be disappointed, obviously. And and I just worry about them really for the long term. You know, we talk about it a lot in the Premier League podcast. The fact that they are slow starters. Um, I just wonder if maybe that's um, something to do with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Maybe he doesn't get his system right at the start of matches, and and his in-game management's actually okay because you look at some of the subs that he's made that made an impact in recent weeks. Um, he seems to get that right quite a lot and he gets quite a lot of plaudits for that. But maybe he's just not setting them up very well to start matches. Uh, it definitely was the case against Leipzig. But yeah, they, I always find them quite tricky though. You know, t game, uh, games in where you just need a point, they're always quite difficult to sort of get your mindset. Like, do you just go and set up with a back five and try and sit in and soak up pressure? Because if you do concede an early goal, then all of a sudden you're in trouble because you're playing a back five and you can't attack. Um so, yeah, they've, they've only got themselves to blame, but I think the two best teams did come out of that that group. And RB Leipzig, I think, will probably be one of the best second-place teams uh, or one of the, the, the runners-up that people will want to avoid. And, and likewise, I think PSG, we'll, talk, we'll get onto the outright market, but I do think they're being underestimated again um, in, in this in this competition, especially now they've got the, the, the 
good run last season uh, under their belts. And ultimately, they deserve to win this group. Um, I think we said their points total. I can't remember what, we, what it was at the start, but I think it was around 12. Uh, I thought I expect them to win it a little bit more comfortably, I'll be honest. I didn't expect them to lose twice, but um, they've had a lot of issues as well domestically with injuries, with um, coronavirus cases, making their preparations a little bit awkward in certain matches. But yeah, I think those two teams, PSG and Leipzig, could potentially go far again in this competition. Yeah, you mentioned there about outrights. And I think, Andrew, you've, you've mentioned sort of early on about some potential teams in, in Europa League action. I think now is probably a, a good a time as any to to look briefly at some of those before we do get into more Champions League stuff. Obviously, Manchester United, one of those. You've got Dynamo Kiev, um, Bruges, you've got Krasnodar, um, Ajax, Olympiakos, Shakhtar Donetsk and Salzburg are in there. Now, in terms of the odds, Tottenham, who are, are already in the competition, are kind of close with Manchester United at the top of the betting. Arsenal, um, no comment, Jake, I think, on that one. You've got AC Milan, Napoli, Ajax and Leicester are sort of down within the top 10. Um, Andrew, I'll go to you first. Is there anyone in that sort of list or, or looking at the odds that you think potentially could be a value play for the Europa League? Um... Well, I mean, as, as I mentioned earlier, I think um, Salzburg are, are, were probably better in the in the Champions League group stage than their than their results suggested. So I think they're they're probably worth considering. Um, beyond them, it's kind of hard to know. I mean, obviously, um, Seville have stayed in the Champions League, so it's sort of wide open this year, isn't it? Uh, You're giving everyone a chance, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Somebody else is going to win it for once. So. Um, you know, as as much as you know what we've said about you know Manchester United, I mean they've they've certainly got um, the possibility of of going a long way in the competition because they're just you know they've got better players than than most of the teams who are in it. So um, you know a lot will depend on how the draw unfolds and stuff like that, um, and maybe they'll have changed manager by the time it starts again. I mean, who knows? Can't, I don't think you can rule that out. You know, if, if they've got Pochettino in by the time the Europa League starts up again, then all of a sudden I think their chances would. Uh, would increase quite a lot but um yeah beyond that i think it's sort of quite open i think it's um it could be quite quite interesting this season and arsenal seven to one jake i bet you you'll be on the exchanges laying them all day i'll tell you what if he plays the youngsters every week they've got a chance um <laughs> as soon as the, as soon as the main uh starting 11 come back in not for me but yeah I'm, I'm excited for this europa league i've got to be honest i think it's a really stacked europa league there's a lot of talented teams in there um this season you mentioned the head of the market obviously the three Premier League teams, AC Milan, who are leading the Serie A at the moment. They look really, really impressive under Stefano Pioli. Um, Ajax, obviously, were, were a, a, you know, renowned across Europe, has been a, a really strong team. They were Europa League finalists only two or three years ago. Um, Napoli are looking really good under Gennaro Gattuso as well um, in Italy. And it will be quite fitting to see them lift some silverware, given the, um, you know, obviously the passing of Diego Maradona. Um, Leverkusen, another strong team, Roma, Villarreal, Benfica, Sociedad. I give all those sorts of teams a chance because I don't think there's too much between the likes of Tottenham and Manchester United and these teams across Europe. They're perhaps being a little bit underestimated because, again, the market probably been uh, formed on on name and um, previous history. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with Andrew. I, I think Salzburg could be a bet at the prices. Um, I think they, they had a run to the, the semi-finals a couple of years ago as well. So they, they've got previous in this competition. The only worry for them is that they usually get raided for the players in January. Um, if that happens again, I know they've got an unbelievable conveyor belt of talent, but if that happens again, um, you, you know, I think the uh, last season in Europe, it did sort of affect them and, and they struggled to get out, um, 
get through in the Europa League. So that'd be my only doubt about them. I think Rangers are worth a mention as well at a big price, 41. They're going to be seeded. They won their group, obviously, with um, Benfica in there. Uh, really, really impressive record in Europe under Gerard. I think they played 41 times and lost just five games, which is staggering, really, um, in the Europa League. So, yeah, they, they could be a, a really interesting outside bet. But, yeah, I wouldn't be touching any of the three favourites, if I'm honest. I think they've all got issues and, and they're all going to be playing for top four or top six football. Um, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday is going to be difficult. Yeah, I think when you run through some of the teams that are actually in it this year, it's, it's got all the makings of a Europa League podcast, I think. So we'll have to watch this space. <laughs> Um, back to the Champions League. We've, we've done a good job of sort of reviewing the, the groups and how those individual teams have performed. I'd like to maybe just talk about individuals. Now, there's not going to be any sort of betting angles with this, but it's interesting to look at some of the, the players and, and how they've performed over the group stage. Uh, we've got the likes of like Haaland that you mentioned. Jake, obviously Neymar's had a good group stage player from, from Mönchengladbach, I think. So you get two hat-tricks or a hat-trick and a brace or something like that. Um, Romero from Atalanta, Kingsley Coman of Bayern Munich, uh, João Felix from Atletico. They've all had sort of decent performances. If we were to maybe sort of do like a, a gold, silver and bronze award for, for players of the group stage, Jake, who would you who would you see as really sort of standout performers? Yeah, so um, not many of the players that you mentioned there are in my top three. <laughs> um, I've gone for a mix of um, of stats and also importance so uh, my number one's Karim Benzema I think um, he scored some clutch goals for for Madrid that helped them get out of the group stage um, he scored a crucial goal to get them back um, back in the game at Gladbach he scored the first goal against Sinter in the home win as well and he scored a brace against Gladbach to, to put them through so he's, he's basically dragged Real Madrid back into matches and, and, and helped them get through I think he's a massively underrated player in that Madrid team um, he's averaged 0.8 expected goals per average match in the Champions League. I think he's only actually played in four uh, in four matches and come on as sub in, in one of them. Uh, he's also contributed 0.25 expected assists uh, per average match as well. So his overall contributions around 1.05 expected goals uh, goal involvements per average match, which is a really impressive number uh, in a team that you know we've we already spoke about aren't exactly uh, fantastic going forward. So most of it that is good for Real Madrid does come through him. And Andrew, what about yourself? Yeah, well, I uh, I picked out three. Um, third place one, just had to really give a shout out to um, Olivier Giroud because he hardly plays and he comes in against Seville and scores four goals. I mean, they've only conceded nine goals in their first 10 league matches this season, so they don't normally give too much away. And then he just comes in, barely plays and, and scores four against them. So I, I sort of thought he was, he was worth a mention uh, for that. So that's who I sort of had as, I guess, third. John, the other two? Yeah, yeah, go for one and two yeah. as well. Yeah, um, you you actually just mentioned him, um, Alassane player. He got a hat-trick and assist at Shakhtar when they won 6-0 and he scored a couple of goals against um, Inter. So he uh, he actually scored or assisted in four of his five starts in the group stage. So he definitely uh, he had a good one. And uh, top of the pile, I went for Angelino because he was the only player to get at least three goals and three assists, which takes some doing from from left back um, or, or wing back or whatever. Um, and uh, not that it was because it was against United, but I mean, his goal the other night um, was just brilliant. Just sort of coming in from the other far side of the box and hitting it back across the goal, like Carlos Alberto or something. So um, yeah, I think uh, they're, they're probably my uh, top three. And Jake, where are we on the rest of yours? 
Yeah, so I've got Benzema as one. Number two, I've got Kingsley Coman. I think he's been uh, exceptional. He's only actually played in four matches in the Champions League, the first four games for Bayern Munich. And obviously those four matches, they had the, the group wrapped up. He scored three times and assisted twice in those four matches. Um, so his, you know, his involvement in terms of expected goals around 1.03 expected goal involvements per average match, which is, um, you know, a really impressive number. And then he just afforded to rest after that, which is very nice for him. Um, Diogo Jota, I got a number three as well, um, just because I think he only played in four matches, but um, he scored a couple of crucial goals. I think the hat trick to Atalanta springs to mind, obviously, but um, he scored the opener against Midtjylland as well, which um, was a game in which Liverpool were actually struggling to create. And as soon as that goal went in, it opened the game up a little bit more and allowed Liverpool to sort of, again, kick on and, and get the three points. And uh, ultimately, he helped them get that three points. And obviously, the hat trick in Atalanta put them on nine points and uh, pretty much through at that point. So, um, yeah, I think that it's, a, again, like I said, it, I went for a mix of stats and importance and, and I, I ended up on those three. Yeah, I think Kingsley Coman and impressing after four games. I think he only needs four games to win a trophy, doesn't he? His, his... <laughs> his average is, yeah, it's bonkers. Um, right, let's get on to, as I said, right at the very top of the show, we have got the, the group stage coming, um, sorry, the knockout stage draw coming up next week. And obviously we don't know at the, the time that we're running this stream, um, but odds are available for the for the outrights and, and kind of on the basis that they, they may well change judging by or after some of the draws. Um, we've mentioned some of the, the big teams in there that group winners can draw and it's, it's essentially banded at the top of the market in, in terms of the odds you've got. Bayern Munich at 3.75, Man City at 5.0 or 4 to 1, Liverpool 6 to 1, and then PSG maybe just sneak into that top bracket as well at 10 to 1. Um, Andrew, your boys are in there. They're, they're given around a 14% chance of winning it at their odds of 6 to 1. Do you think that's fair or is there is, is the eye drawn to, to one of the other three teams in that top four? I think that's sort of probably fair. I mean, we talked a little earlier when I sort of played down their chances and, and Jake talked them up a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think they're obviously, they're, 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 they should get close really um, if the players uh, largely come back from injury, as, a, as I said earlier. I mean, I, I it sort of seems too obvious to go for the favourite, but it is quite hard to look past Bayern as things stand. Um, you know, I think, did they win every single game they played in the competition last year? Something yeah. like that, um, and you know anybody anybody who uh, who beats them will you know will have to do it the hard way and will probably go on and win the tournament. I think so. Um, yeah, Liverpool have got a chance. I mean, obviously any of those teams have, but um, as, as boring as it is to just pick the favourite, but I, you know I think they're deservedly so, and uh, will certainly take some stopping. And Jake, I think you mentioned a couple of times about about PSG, sort of ten to one there or thereabouts, nine percent chance of, of winning it outright at this stage. Maybe talk to us a little bit more about why you you have them there, or they could be underrated. Yeah, they would have won it last year had they not run into the best team in Europe. Effectively, if, if Bayern had have found a way of getting knocked out in that build up, I, I, you know, I firmly believe PSG were the second best team in that competition, and their underlying process um, stacked up against that. And so far this season, I've not seen anything to sort of discourage me from that. If anything, a little bit stronger um, this time around because they've made a couple of interesting signings. They bought the squad up a little bit. Obviously, Edison Cavani's left, but they brought in uh, Mozzi Ken, who's been really, really impressive domestically when he has played. And I think he uh, he played in Leipzig as well, and he was fantastic in that game um, in the first half. So I like what they've done. Um, they've strengthened strengths, and, and they've also strengthened weakness areas, which is which was, for me, in any way, the holding midfield role, um, where I think 
if Marco Verratti is out, then they're struggling. But they brought in a couple of players there. Danilo Pereira from Porto's, um, you know, Portuguese international is very solid. Has been dropping into uh, centre half as well to help out there. Um, so I like the way that the squad's shaping up. I think Thomas Tuchel is a good enough manager to win this competition. I think he's got enough about him. And then you've got the front, you know, the front two, the big two, big three actually, because Angel Di Maria probably doesn't get the respect he deserves in that PSG team. Um, but yeah, Di Maria, Mbappe, Neymar, they can kill anyone at any point um, throughout this competition. And, um, but yeah, I agree with Andrew. I think Bayern Munich, that'd be where I'd be putting my money, to be honest. I, I still don't think there's a better team um, in Europe than Bayern Munich. And then you look at the, the potential draw for them, uh, Porto, Atalanta, Sevilla, Lazio or Barcelona. Um, I would imagine they could probably beat all of them by an aggregate of 8-0 um, and no one would bat an eyelid. So they're, they're, they're the favourites for me. I, I probably would have Liverpool's second favourites ahead of Manchester City, marginally. Um, I think that Liverpool at this point in time are a slightly better team than, than Manchester City, even without Van Dijk in, in there. Um, and again, there's not too much that Liverpool could draw that, that really worries me. Gladbach, Porto, Sevilla, Lazio, Barca. I think they would beat all of those. The only two teams potentially could cause a little bit of troubles. Leipzig um, and Atletico Madrid, who obviously knocked them out last season. Uh, and if they did draw Atletico, it'd be a nice little reunion for Luis Suarez and Anfield, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's Bayern do seem like the very obvious one. And, and those that are kind of betting, it's one thing the team that are most likely to win. But as you sort of look further down the odds, there may, be, may well be the ones that, are slightly overpriced or potentially offer a little bit of value. A couple in there that I don't think really that might apply to are the old man and the old lady, as you said earlier, Barcelona, <laughs> Juventus. Um, they're both sort of around the the 14 to 1 mark along with Chelsea. Um, Real Madrid, Atletico and Borussia Dortmund are kind of hovering around sort of 18, 20 to 1. It feels like that batches. I mean, maybe Chelsea, the only one out of that. Atletico, you could also make a case for, but in terms of that sort of second tier, Jake, is there anyone in there that you would you would be drawn to? Yeah, probably the two teams that you've said there um, in that second tier. Barca and Juve are way too short for me. Uh, I think they're priced up on the fact that they are Barca and Juve and that they have Ronaldo and Messi. Um, like, like, like I said before, Barcelona's potential opponents, they look absolutely horrible. Munich, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Dortmund or PSG. Um, the way that they're playing, I don't fancy them to beat any of those. But I think if there was... If there were to be one team that they'd, they'd like to face, it probably would be Dortmund. I think they're the weakest of those. Um, but yeah, I still I still think Dortmund could cause a bit of an upset. Um, they went close to knocking PSG out last season. Um, that, I think that young squad could really potentially hurt Barca. I think Juve should be a little bit shorter than Barca, in my opinion. I, I, st I still think Juve are too short, at around 14 to 1. But um, I would put them a little bit closer to the, favorite, uh, the, the, the four favourites as opposed to Barcelona. Um, just purely because they've won the group and they're, they're, they're likely to have a, an easier um, draw in this next round. But yeah, Chelsea are definitely a team that, that catch the eye. Um, I think that they have the potential to to move or to shift in price and shorten. Um, but I, like I said before, I don't think that they're, they're, this is their time to win it just yet. Um, so I probably would swerve them. And then, yeah, Atletico Madrid, the only thing that put me off them is the fact that they are runners up and they could have a really, really tough draw. Um, the only teams that they can't draw Real Madrid. So everyone else is fair game, which, um, you know, could end up seeing them pitted against, oh, sorry, they can't draw Bayern Munich as well, which is obviously a massive plus, but they could see themselves pitted against any of the three English teams who would potentially be tough opponents. Um, but yeah, at the prices, I think that they are, they probably represent the best bet of, of the teams in that, say, in that little um, cluster. Yeah, I think this one certainly for me is more about the question marks that, that hover over them rather than the the positives that sort of jump out and might tempt you in. I mean, Andrew, I don't know 
all of them are sort of in that five to to seven percent chance bracket of winning it previous history for some of them is, is there anything there for you that thinks maybe they are worth it well i um i sort of tipped real madrid as a value bet last season when i think they were pretty much a similar price and uh, obviously they were quite easily knocked out by man city after i did that um yeah i think you know you can't over over um overlook the experience um that those teams have in atletico madrid and things and things like that. I mean, I, I definitely agree that I don't think Barcelona or Juventus will uh, will, will do it. There's a, a strange thing about Juventus. They've not gone out in the semi-finals since 99 when they played Man United. They, they either get to the final and probably lose or they uh, or they uh, or they go out quite early. Um, so again, maybe they do a semi-final. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced they or Barcelona um, are going to go all the way. Um to be honest, of the sort of five or six we've, we've grouped together, I think I'd pick probably Chelsea as, as the best of those um, potentially. Uh, but obviously, a lot will uh, a lot will depend not so much on the the draw for the next round, but um, you know the quarterfinals and, and how it goes from there. But uh, that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Right, and then we've got sort of our third little bracket is is three teams that fall within that: Leipzig, Atalanta, and Sevilla, sort of hovering around 30, 40 to one. We're getting into the realms of very lowly 2.5% chance of, of really doing it. But again, it's more a question of whether there's there's value there, potential trade-out opportunity on some of these as the, as the rounds go on. Jake, you've mentioned Leipzig. You, you talked about Atalanta last season a lot, I think, and, and they've still done pretty well this season. Sevilla, not in the Europa League, and they only get a 40, 40 to 1 chance of, of winning this. What do you make of those ones? Yeah, I think the most likely team to do anything is probably Leipzig out of those. Um, uh, they obviously went on a really good run last season, got to the, the semi-finals. But um, although they can't draw Bayern Munich um, or Dortmund in this next round, that means that the chances of them drawing a Liverpool or a Manchester City um, obviously increase. So there is the the potential for them coming up against another European juggernaut. Um, Atalanta, again, I think the only team that they can't draw is obviously Liverpool and Juventus. So they could come up against... Um, you know, likes of Manchester City, Bayern Munich, PSG. Um, they, they, they played PSG hard last time when they played. Um, obviously, I think it was two very late goals that ended up seeing them knocked out. Um, and I think they played Manchester City in the group stage last season. And um, although they got hammered at the Etihad, I think it was 5 0. The, the game um, it actually, I think they were playing at the San Siro at the time, was, um, was a very, very competitive draw in which Atlanta really showed what they were capable of. So I don't think they'll be too scared of playing Man City, but I if they could avoid them, I think they probably would like to. Um, yeah, and then Sevilla. I don't think anyone wants to play Sevilla. They're such an awkward team. They're so adaptable to any game, to any personnel, to any system that um, I think that, that they would probably be a team that would cause a few, or yeah, a few of the bigger teams some problems. Um, whoever draws Sevilla, I don't think it'll be an absolute blowout over two legs. I think it'd be a very tightly contested, contested match. I know we've seen them lose 4-0 against Chelsea. Uh, that was a game in which they were already qualified. I wonder if there was maybe just a bit of complacency. I know they've got a, a rookie keeper in there as well at the time. So, um, yeah, I think Sevilla obviously got that that knack in these kinds of competitions of, um, of grinding out results and um, qualifying even when perhaps they, they maybe shouldn't. So, yeah. But again, I think the value of, of those three is probably Leipzig. I think they are the best team out of those three by a little, by quite a way. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly agree with you on that one, Andrew. What What are your thoughts there? Leipzig, Atalanta, Sevilla—is it is it the obvious draw to the Germans? Yeah, I think so. Not 
sort of too much I can add, really. I think um, I agree Sevilla could be something of a, of a dark horse because they are used to doing well in Europe, albeit obviously the Europa League. But when you get to the latter stages of that, like last season, they put out Man United and they beat Inter Milan in the final and stuff like this. So, I mean, they do end up playing Champions League sort of quality teams um, by the time they get there. I, whether they can go that far in the, the Champions League, I'm not sure. But yeah, I think I think Leipzig are, the, are certainly the, the best team out of the, out of the bottom bracket. I think Munch um, and Gladbach, whoever they get, I think it'll be entertaining whether they'll uh, get through. But I think that could be one of the ties that's worth watching. But yeah, I'm not sure they'll uh, they'll get any they'll get any further than this. And um, yeah, I think Porto are the outsiders, and I mean that seems sort of fair enough. Although they did keep five clean sheets in the in the group stage, um, including one against Man City. Although I think Man City had over two xG, so perhaps that was just more luck than anything else. But uh, yeah, no, I would I would think Leipzig are the best of that group, but Sevilla could just Spring a surprise, possibly. Yeah, Andrew just chucked in a, a couple of names there, Jake, that are sort of up to to hundred hundred to one one percent chance or lower. They, I mean, they could be could be any price really. I think. What do you think of, of Lazio, Mönchengladbach, and, and Porto? Any danger of them progressing any further than round of sixteen? Um, probably not. I think the team that I would be more um, confident about that is probably Lazio. I think that there's quite a few te- people are underestimating them this season based on uh, the way in which they capitulated to the back half of the of last season's Serie A. But they've kept the squad together. And um, before the the enforced break due to the pandemic, they were actually the second best team in, uh, in Serie A based on expected points. So they were up there on merit. Um, and then obviously they came back after the break and just couldn't find their rhythm. Um, they are a team that play with the fine margins. They, they obviously you look at the penalty record last season and that was a massive contributor to them um, being so high in the table. But uh, they've been given they've been given the penalties in the Champions League this season. I know Chiro Mobley's put uh, a couple away uh, for them. So they're, they're probably the team that I, I could see going a little bit further um, out of those three. But yeah, I think Porto, they came out of the least competitive group. Um, you know, they, they only had to beat Olympiacos and Marseille and, and we have Marseille as a, as a bottom half team in, uh, in our expected goals table in France. Olympiacos obviously playing in the Greek league, which doesn't have a really good record in these competitions. So, um, yeah, and then Gladbach, I think they are capable of beating anyone on the day, um, especially I think they've got some really good individual talent there. Um, It's just about whether they can stand up defensively. That's the main issue for them. Um, I think they're they're, they're an exciting team to watch going forward, like Andrew said, but defensively they do look vulnerable. So uh, I think Lazio are the more well-rounded team out of three. Yeah, and I think as as we kind of said a couple of times, a lot can change between now and, and when these games actually take place in the knockout stages. We've got a boatload of domestic action to kind of get through first. We've got the small matter of the draw as well. But I think we'll we'll put a date in the diary. Us three will we'll get back together again. And once we know what the, the round of 16 ties are, we'll, we'll then look through things then again. Um, but Andrew, Jake, time is up for today thank you thank you very much for coming on some some great insight as always so just want to say thank you and obviously for the viewers and the listeners as well thanks for coming on cheers ben thank you cheers and cheers for everyone to for tuning in and, and listening all the odds that, that we've talked about in terms of the outrights for the champions league are available on pinnacle.com best of luck with any bets and remember to please gamble responsibly